What up, all you beautiful Misfits and Rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 227 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Taylor Sparks from OrganicLovin.com. Taylor is an erotic educator. Throughout this episode, we talk about BDSM, kink, the communities of polyamory, swinger communities. You name it, we talk about it. It's a really exciting episode, and we go deep into that culture, how she got into the culture, what she does now within the culture with organicloving.com, and hopefully we expand your mind into all the various opportunities out there for individuals who are interested in trying something new in life, within the relationship, and having a great adventure while doing it. As in last week's episode, please stick around through the very end. As I did with Nubia's episode, I will go back through this episode at the very end talking about the key takeaways that I think are really important to focus in on and how they might be able to benefit you in your personal life and in your pursuit of designing that life you've always dreamed of. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Taylor Sparks from OrganicLovin.com. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I'm joined by Taylor Sparks from Organic Lovin and Sisters of Sexuality. Taylor, welcome to the show. Thank you, Trevor. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you, and it was such a pleasure getting to meet you in person at the Tulum beach party that we met at, You know, hosted by Nubia, who was just on the podcast an hour before you and I jumped on. So her episode will be coming out just one week before yours. And again, such a pleasure, and I was so intrigued by the lifestyle that you've designed for yourself, which is why I brought you on to share with the audience like how you're doing what you're doing, because I think it's incredibly beautiful and powerful and educational as well for those who are interested in this type of lifestyle. So again, thank you for joining me. Ah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's it's been a, it's been a fun creation along the way, you know, because some things have uh, fallen in place and some things I've wedged in place. <laughs> Like you will fit right here, right now. I love it. Can you give us a little bit of your background, you know, where you're from, kind of maybe just, you know, a synopsis of your upbringing and, and where you found yourself in life before you chose to take on this lifestyle of organic loving? Yeah, yeah. Uh, originally uh, from Boston, grew up in Boston, Roxbury, Dorchester. What's up, being down people? <laughs> uh, left there when I was 20 and went to L.A., um, I went to college for uh, fashion merchandising and marketing, and uh, I lived in LA for like 11 years. In between that, I ended up moving and doing some marketing for timesharing condominiums in Puerto Vallada when I was uh, 25 going on 26. I was there for a short time. Back to Boston, married, kids, uh, and then we moved the kids and the husband and I all moved down to Raleigh, North Carolina, and ended up in Fuquay, North Carolina, right south of Raleigh for like 18 years. So I did, uh, I worked in fashion for a little bit in LA um, as an assistant buyer. And then I started working in administration, started receptionist, secretary, office manager, and um, 
And then back in Boston, I worked uh, for WGBH TV as a unit production manager. So, you know, all the administrative stuff, it's still kind of the same. We just end up handling more money and um, uh, and handling more budget. So while back in Boston, I ended up getting my certification in human behavior, which is uh, in disc profiles, and did my first seminar teaching disc at, at the um Smithsonian National Physical Observatory, where I used to work. And um, from the very first moment I did my very first seminar, uh, I was like that old story of the the person finding the starfish, you know, on the on the uh, shores and you throw it back in the ocean. It was like I took my first real breath of life and I'm like this. I need to talk for a living. I can get paid for this. So I started pursuing uh, corporate training. And when we went down to North Carolina, that is what I started doing, my own my own company. And but we had some real hard financial times. My mother-in-law passed um, and um, my husband's job turned out that we went down there for it turned out to be shit. Hmm. And, and so I enjoyed making organic products. So I started making some body products for the kids, like for camp, body butters and soaps and things like that, because we were just like broke beyond broke. And um, somebody I knew, a friend of mine was launching a retail store and loved my stuff. So she started buying it. And then I named the company Morning Indigo after my kids. So my son's name is Tarek and, mm-hmm. in Arabic, um, which means morning star. And my daughter's name is Indigo. So I named the business Morning Indigo. That transitioned into a line of organic head-to-toe products for elite endurance athletes. So I did my first marathon at the age of 40. Mm. And since then, I've run two full marathons, eight half marathons, a sprint triathlon, and a half Ironman. And uh, we we won't do that shit again because it was harder and longer than both my labors combined. (laughs) And so then I, I had this line of 16 products. We were we were doing um, we were sponsoring races, marathons, you know, local triathlon series, uh, elite runners and triathletes, which led to did the business for seven years, which led to us also sponsoring uh, five different Olympian athletes. We were in Muscle and Fitness hers and other sports magazines. We were in the SB Award gift bags, and it was rolling along the business. But it was like a baby that wouldn't get out of the crib. You know, mm. I was just throwing money at it and throwing money at it. And I was still working my corporate job uh, as a corporate trainer, but for myself. Um, but it was part time because, you know, our kids were growing and they were involved in sports. So I could, you know, work or do a few classes a month and still be home most of the time uh, with them. So that turned out well. And then right around the year six or so, six or six, five or six years in, my husband and I started traveling to adult-only resorts like uh, Hedonism and Desire with these adult-only travel groups. And then we decided to launch our own travel group with a sexy crew. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we launched that, we met a couple that owned a luxury travel group for adults only. Uh, luxury lifestyle vacations and they brought us on as affiliates and i'm like oh my god there's money in this so most of these events were swinger events and i didn't know there was so much money in the swinger community because there were groups that were that were chartering private chartering entire royal caribbean ships with four thousand people on it i'm like all these people are swingers (laughs) 
was like, well, not everybody, but a good number were. And some were nudists, of course, and some were just couples that just wanted to hang out with people who were who were mentally, uh, if not if not also physically free. Mm-hmm. And uh, we started working with them and selling into their events and traveling outside of the country. And I noticed that a lot of the vendors on the ship, the products that they sold um, were very chemical based. And then the owners of LLV asked me to do a private label line of sensual massage oils and body washes, which I did. But once we launched it, we had no place to sell it because they had a travel agency and I had a skincare for athletes company. So with a little bit of love and some money and support from them, I launched Organic Lovin' uh, seven and a half years ago and uh, started with their four products. And now I represent uh, over a thousand, now I have, uh, I sell over a thousand products and represent over 150 brands and I ship worldwide. Wow. That's my story. That's my story. And I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I just want to go back real quick, just for one piece of clarification. The, when you talked about your psychology, you said you got a disc profiles. What is that? Did I mishear yes. you? Um, yeah, no, think um, some people know Myers-Briggs. Okay. It's a personality assessment. So DISC, D-I-S-C, okay. um, is a personality assessment profile. So my certification is in DISC, uh, personality profiles and human behavior. Myers-Briggs was developed with, on, a, on, a basis of, on a basis of psychology, which psychology is based on abnormalities, right? Mm-hmm. Why you can't do what you seem to, like normal people can do. DISC, uh, personality profiles, is built on a foundation of normalities. It talks about um, how you act, interact, and react with others. Okay. So during the time, the several years I was doing corporate training, um, I would go into companies, starting with the foundation of DISC, helping people understand how they act, react, and interact with others. And then from there, the training would either go into leadership, management. Uh, I did courses on communications, negotiations, uh, and customer service. There was one more thing I did. Uh, oh, yes, yeah, that thing that people do that make lists that I don't do well. So, yeah, that one. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I did that for almost 15 years of corporate training. So, And I mean, I did. I'm sorry. I want to apologize to you and the audience because I didn't do, I think, a very good job in my intro of really kind of helping the audience understand what you do. I mean, you're an erotic educator at this point, essentially, and a sex goddess, as you say on your on your card, which is an amazing card, by the way. Thank um, you. And, it ties so interesting together with kind of the story that you briefly gave us with how you kind of came to where you are today, because it sounds like you and your husband had an understanding that you had an open relationship or you were kind of in this lifestyle already. No, we were uh, 12 years into our marriage and we opened our marriage. Okay. So you were um, monogamous for 12 years and then you chose to open it up. Fully monogamous. Everything was fine and wonderful and great. No infidelity, no, you know, no, Mm -hmm. nothing. And um, when we went to the adults only uh, resort, hedonism, which is not a swingers resort, people think that it is, it is not. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went with a group that was not a swinger group. We just went with a group of people that wanted to not be around a bunch of damn kids for vacation. Mm-hmm. Um, we met people who were swingers and I had lots of questions and I'm like, we don't want to do that. And so when I got back home, I looked up I actually Googled the benefits of an open marriage, which is different than swinging, and found an article written by a man from the perspective of a husband. 
And so I said to my husband, you need to read this article. We should, we should talk about this. We should do this. Let's not do the swinging thing. <laughs> Let's do the open marriage thing, which, you know, one of the differences for people who do not know, people tend to, it all falls under the umbrella of ethical non-monogamy. Open marriages, people tend to do things separately. Um, they set their boundaries like, you know, I need to know where you are, and who you're with and always wear condoms. Um, but some people also have a don't ask, don't tell philosophy. So there may be um, just, you know, sexual contact with others and that's it. You, you know, you have a date and you come home. Whereas swinging, which has all of its many, many levels, um, you have soft swinging where people might have intimate contact kissing and hugging and light soft play but there might not be any penetrative sex um it's not always two couples although mostly it is sometimes it could be only the female plays with another female of a couple it could be only the female plays with another male of a couple it could be only the male plays with another female or, or a male with a male um or a couple or the couple may only play with single women or men uh, there are lots of variations to swinging, whether it's full swap, where everybody does everything, including penetrative, or soft swap, where they may only just be teasing and kissing, and and you have a, something in between monogamy and open marriage is called monogamish, which is really just a lot of flirting, but no actual physical contact with others, just to uh, spice up one's one's long term marriage or just an, an interest in itself. And then you have the whole spectrum of uh, polyamorous relationships, polygamy, polygyny, polyandry. <laughs> so there, there's um, the difference between swinging and, and um, so you have polygamy, one man, two, two wives, polyandry, uh, one wife with more than one husband, poly, polygamy, one husband, more than one wife, polyandry, one wife, more than one husband. Um, polyamory is, uh, the, to have more than one romantic relationship with all parties involved, knowing and consenting. So, um, all of that open monogamous, monogamy, polyandry, poly, polygamy, all falls under the umbrella of ethical non-monogamy. And ethical is the operative word because if your partners do not know you have having sex or having relationships with other people that is unethical and it does not fall under that umbrella. Okay. I'm so <laughs> excited to go down this rabbit hole with you because I love all this stuff. I have a psych background and of course the, the sexual psychology, psychological aspect of it was always the most interesting. Mm. Uh, first things first, I have a curious question about your lifestyle pre and then how like, okay, so you were very much monogamous with your husband. Was there never yeah. any indicator that this might be something you were interested in? It sounds like the way you deliver the story thus far, it's like one day you went on this like vacation with your husband, like to get away from the kids. And next thing you know, it's like you have this open marriage. And like, I'm just curious, like, you know, little girl through puberty moving up, was there like desires, thoughts that you could maybe trace back and say like, well, this might've always been in me, or is it something that you just kind of through time and marriage and I don't know, evolution, you just said, Hey, this might be something I want to try. Well, looking back, I can say that if I had found out about the swinger community in my twenties, I probably never would have gotten married. 
Okay. Or polyamory, I should say. I probably would never would have gotten married because all through my 20s, I dated multiple people at the same time. I just didn't know. And I never lied about it. I was just like, you're not the only one. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I wonder why people were getting married, not asking me to marry them. Now I know why. But uh, in their mind, I was just slutting around, you know. <laughs> but I, I, I found it very easy to love one person for one thing and somebody else for something different, but didn't know that I was polyamorous. Um, some people are polyamorous as a dating style. And there's a big debate about this in the polyamorous, polyamorous community meaning they date multiple people until they found one person, then they settle down, so mm. to speak, with that one person. And some of us, and I'm including myself, I'm talking about us, me, I'm polyamorous as an orientation, almost like a sexual orientation, because even if I have one partner, no partners, 10 partners, I'm going to always believe it's possible and always seek to have more than one relationship at a time. Mm-hmm. I, even with no partners, I think I would, you know, would always want to have more than one guy in my, more than one man in my life because no one man provides everything. And I like different men for different reasons. They provide different things for me. So, um, it's good. It's, it's, it's good. So when we got introduced to it, it was like, well, this could be because our, our, um, sexual libidos were different. Mine was much higher than his. And I thought of it as a way, to fulfill some of my sexual desires initially, and then I could stop bugging the shit out for mm. more for more for more sex, you see. And um, but then also he got the opportunity to explore and have more sex with other women as well, because it wasn't just me. You know, he was, you know, like, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't at first, but then he was like, Well, shit, I get to have more pussy. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he might have been reluctant initially. But, uh, you know, he quickly was like, wait a minute, this is a thing, you know, this is a benefit for me. The one challenge was it was he did not want to not only not see me with another man, he did not want to hear me with another man. Okay. so we did everything separately for the first few years, a couple of years we did. And then, you know, eventually we got around to going to some parties. So like I said, we did an open marriage initially. The swinging thing just wasn't our thing at first. Okay. And then in addition to the polyamorous side of you, did you graduate into other aspects that fall under this giant umbrella of like kink? Um, I mean, is that even an umbrella? I'm, I'm kind of not yeah, familiar yeah, with all the terms. Kink on, you can put <laughs> like, kink or BDSM under, under the umbrella. Like, I got introduced to poly and kink at the same time from the same couple. Okay. And I'm like, I was, I mean, so I was already swinging and open and that, you know, that part was all fine because the difference between a swinger and a polyamorous person, swingers are physically non-monogamous, but emotionally monogamous, mm-hmm. right? So you're not my boyfriend. We're not in love. You ain't calling me in the middle of the night <laughs> talking about my car broke down. Whereas polyamorous people are emotionally non-monogamous and some but not all are physically non-monogamous because you can be poly without having a physical relationship it's about the intimacy and the connection and the emotional connection in polyamory it is not always physical but it can be if one so desires so um shit did I forget the question? It was worth um, in addition to the to kink aspects. So you were introduced to Polly and Kink more or less at the same time. Um, 
and then I'm just kind of trying to learn more about like as you get deeper down into these communities, like you obviously learn about things you like, things you don't like. But at this mm-hmm. point, I mean, you're you're an educator, it's seemingly of all of these sorts of I don't want to call them disciplines, but um, type, <laughs> type, types of like relationship themes, styles, relationship styles. Yeah. So I just I'm curious because, you know, as I've gotten older, my tastes have changed as well. And I'm looking back at, mm-hmm. you know, early childhood and saying like, okay, there's always been something there for me to desire the adventurous side of things. And mm-hmm. I'm just trying to help the audience who might have had either the same sort of inclinations as I did as a young man or a young woman. Um, and then those who didn't, but are at a stage in their life, like it sounds like you were where it was time to open that marriage up and try something new. And it sounds like it worked out in a very healthy way for you and your husband. It did. And, and it was, um, I mean, I've always been sexually curious as far back as I can remember. Mm-hmm. So, the, you know, the sexually curious part is just who, who I was. I've always been able to easily talk about sex. Um, my mom didn't so much talk about it, but, you know, when it came to the, you know, the birds and the bees, so to speak, of the story about sex and sexuality, she was very open about, listen, don't do this shit because you can get pregnant. <laughs> you okay. know? And there's so many ways to not get pregnant. At, you know, at, you know, at this stage in, in life, you know, there's all kinds of birth controls, there's condoms. So, but I remember her like, don't be out there, you know, with them boys. And I, and I couldn't wait to get out there with the boys to figure out why I wasn't supposed to be out there with the boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she never told me why not to be out there. She did like, just don't be out there. I'm like, I couldn't wait to get the fuck out there so I could figure it out. And, um, and then as I, I mean, I left home and the first time at 18 and then home for a year. And then I went to LA at 20. But just being out in the world and seeing and then wondering about sex and sexuality. I think uh, the first time I met someone that was a woman or a guy that was gay, I was in my twenties living in LA. So that whole, wow, that's interesting. Really? How did that, you know, how did that come about and what did you think? And, but, you know, do tall men have sex the same as short men? And do white men have sex the same as black men? And do Latino men have the same type of sex as Asian men? It was just always a big, everything was just a big curiosity. For me, I mean, I, didn't, I was 34, 35 when I got married. Mm-hmm. So, and never even thought I'd ever get married, <laughs> to be honest. Okay. So you always had an experimental side. So it sounds like it's... Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe natural, more natural for you to have these things put in front of you and then you try or not try because that's kind of more your nature. So somebody who might not have that same nature might encounter these things and have a more difficult time unless they're at that crossroads where they're seeking it out. I'm curious with the people that you work with, are the percentage of individuals that you work with always been experimental or they're, they're they're coming to that crossroads where they're they're trying to figure out what they want to spice up their across, life across the across the board. Um, the the people who I come to my seminars, so prim- primarily I've been teaching in this one community mm-hmm. on these cruises at the resorts, and I find them across the board. I find the ones that are this is my first time even being around naked people, and I'm 42 years old. I've never seen all these naked people before in my life ever. And, you know, my, it was my wife's idea because it's, you know, people tend to think that it's the most dominant person in the relationship idea to enter into non-monogamy or ethical non-monogamy or to, or even to seek it out. 
and it's not. Um, it's a curiosity. It has nothing to do with someone being more or less dominant. It's like, I heard about this thing. I'm curious. Some people come in, they take a peek and go, nah, not my thing, not our thing. And they leave, you know, and it's, and it's, and you never see them or hear from them again. Um, you have some people who are like, we met this couple at a bar and they told us about this event uh, two weeks ago. Here we are. We're all fucking in. I mean, they just, they're the, the personality that's in 100%. We're doing this shit. We, we wrote out all our boundaries two nights ago. We're in. We're ready to go. Let's do this. So there is no real wrong way for a couple or even a single person um, to do ethical non-monogamy as long as you're ethical. It's the point of using your words like a grown-up. Um, you know, at some point, you know, when we're young and when we're toddlers and we don't know how to communicate, a lot of times we throw our bodies to the ground and we just scream and holler until our parents try to figure out what the hell we want. And they start teaching us to use our words. What do you want? And somewhere along the line in our adulthood or through our formative years as teens, we're told to shut the fuck up. Mm -hmm. And, to, and not allowed to use our words. We're not allowed to express ourselves. And we go on into adulthood um, not using our words properly for what it is that we want and what we don't want. And the crossroad is not so much entering non-monogamy. It's what do I want in my life? That could happen at 17, 27, 36, 52, 78. What the fuck do I want? Mm -hmm. And so some of the people who enter into non-monogamy have de had decided at 21, this is the life I want to live. And some people don't decide until 42. This is the life I want to live. So it, it's you, you have to figure it out for yourself. And the best thing about being at the top of the food chain, which is where we are as humans, is we have the ability to choose. Every other animal functions by instinct and instinct only. We get to choose where we live, who we love, the jobs we want, who we fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have choice. And so it's not a matter of right or wrong. It's just a matter of different. Mm -hmm. And the sooner we figure that out, I think the sooner we have, we make decisions that are best for ourselves and our family. Yeah, which leads me to my next question with the family, because I'm assuming you're transparent with your children. Like, how has that affected their perception of you and their dad or has it at well, all? They're grown now. So we didn't tell them until they were grown. Of course um, I figured, but still that's, yeah, yeah. that's a big thing to kind of divulge to your children when they already have this image of you and you know, what marriage is within the confines of the social norms of our society. So I can imagine that might've played a part in them having a big shock, you know, they weren't too shocked. Okay. Um, they were like, we figured something was going on with y'all, you know, okay. <laughs> we figured something was going on. I mean, I was very open sexually with the kids about mm -hmm. their sex, their uh, sexual protection, STIs, no means no, um, you know, telling our son, listen, I don't care if your dick is, is touching her vagina. If she mm -hmm. says no, you get you, pull yourself back, you put your pants on, you go to fuck home. Mm -hmm. No means no. Right. Um, I don't care if she says you don't have to wear a condom. You just met her. You put on a condom, you know, 
And because it doesn't matter, you know, telling our daughter, no, you can't go to this boy's house and no one else is there because I don't know if he was raised like your, your brother was raised to understand that no means no. So you don't want to put yourself in a position to have to say no. Mm-hmm. So we were very open about that. We didn't hide the fact that dad and I are going upstairs to the bedroom. We're going to have a date. Don't you knock on this door not unless the house is on fire. <laughs> okay. We weren't, we weren't trying to have sex quietly so the kids didn't hear you know, once they were old enough to hear and figure out what was going on. And I remember our daughter was, my son had left for college five years apart. I think our daughter was 15 and, you know, in her teenage moodiness. And she came home between school and going to dance. And she was like, you know, I heard you and dad this morning. I'm like, you heard us what? I heard you up there like having sex and, you know, I'm getting ready for school and I shouldn't have to like be sub- you know, subjected to that kind of noise. I'm like, Look here, little girl. First of all, this is our house. Second of all, <laughs> you're leaving for college in a few years. And, and, and it don't matter. Third of all, nobody is going to be scheduling their sex lives around your fucking schedule. <laughs> Lastly, you should be happy that your dad and I are still having sex. That a lot of your friends' parents are not even fucking or talking to each other. So you don't like it, put your headphones on and take your ass on to dance. <laughs> so, and that was that. I'm like, you know, my children are not going to dictate my sex life. And when I have sex in, in a house that, that we pay for. I think, yeah, more people should heed that because I see so many relationships destroyed because they put the kids first and their wants mm-hmm. and needs and they completely neglect their own. And then the relationships dissolving, you know, right before their eyes, they don't even realize it. Yeah. It's, 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 I mean, you can't do whatever you, whatever's best for your home, if that's what makes you guys feel better. But they were born into my life. I was not born into theirs. Mm-hmm. So they follow my rules, my direction. I'm in this, in my opinion, when you have um, affection and intimacy, not like sex in front of your children, but intimacy and affection in front of your children, you show them what a healthy relationship looks like. hmm just like if you have an argument, it's like, hey, your dad and I are fighting, go to your room, but I'm not going to be quiet so you don't hear me tell your father or your father don't hear me tell you that we're having a disagreement. I mean, we had boundaries in our household. There was no name calling or any of that because I never wanted my children to grow up to hear that kind of thing. And that was a very big no-no for me. There is no name calling amongst us in a fight, you see. So, and we never did that for 25 years. What about, you know, I mean, I'm sure at some point you've come across people who completely disagree with your lifestyle completely. and, and how <laughs> then do you navigate that? I mean, I know you, you brush off haters. It's what we're supposed to do, but realistically, there's going to be some times where it does affect you. And for myself, we all have ways in which we deal with that, you know, so I'd like to hear more about how you've dealt with it. Um, so the, the easiest way to say it, well, before I even got married, I remember someone telling, someone sitting down to me talking about relationships and they drew a circle, right? Mm-hmm. So it was a little circle and they go, this is you and your partner. And they drew a circle outside of that and said, These, this is your family. And a circle outside of that, these are your friends. And then a circle outside of that was everybody else in the world. You and your partner can leave your circle to go outside to any one of these other rings at any point to deal with anybody. The minute you let somebody in your circle is where the fuck up happens between you and your partner. So not your mother, not your children, not your friends, not your coworkers, not especially anybody else in the world. So the same thing was when 
our closest friends eventually we confessed that we were open. Mm-hmm. It was like, this is what we have decided to do. We're not asking your permission if it's okay. If you don't like it and you don't want to be friends with us, then that's your choice. We're not leaving the friendship you are. So people will self-select themselves out. Um, this, this is, you don't pay my mortgage. <laughs> you don't, mm-hmm. you don't take care of my children. And the same with, you know, with my mother, even my mother. And I mean, God, in the, it being in the open relationship, because the same time we came out to our kids, we came out to my mom. Um, a couple of close friends and family knew, but I told my mom when we moved down to Florida a couple of years ago, I'm like, I have boyfriends. I'm, you know, I'm polyamorous and this is what it means. And, and she was like, oh my God, your husband's going to leave. No, he's, he's fucking other people too. Nah, he's, it's just <laughs> not me because I'm the dominant one, right? It's just not me. This is not, you know, he's all in. We've been doing, you just found out, but we've been doing this for like 10 years now. We're good. And then she, you know, but she's like had a hard time understanding. And I'm like, I have real relationships. These are not just some guys I'm fucking, I could, they care about me as a, as a person. There is love here at the foundation of this relationship. These, you know, I I would never introduce them to my family if it was just a guy I was just fucking, Mm -hmm. you know, my husband knows them, they're friends, they have each other's phone numbers. It's, I have a real relationship. I could call them at three o'clock in the morning and say, my car broke down. They would get out of their bed with their wife and go, I got to go pick up Taylor. Her car broke down, babe. I'll be back. And she'd be like, okay, you want me to come with you? Mm-hmm. Because it's a real established relationship, not just sexual. And not saying that, you know, the people who have the sweet relationship, that's fine too. But these particular individuals were more established. So I didn't let, or we didn't allow the others to dictate what we did within our relationships. And some people did self-select themselves out. They were like, you know, our, our lives are going in two different directions and I don't believe in what you're doing. So I'm out. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'll miss you. Goodbye. It sounds like you have always operated then from a very secure place within yourself, a solid foundation of belief in what you do and why you do it. And you don't really need other people's approval. Is that I don't accurate? never have. Uh, okay. Never and never will. And that's saying we all seek approval, right? Mm-hmm. We all walk around with an invisible sign on our head that says, make me feel important. Mm-hmm. You know, make me feel seen. And we all want it. But if you don't have it within yourself, initially, the world will just run you over. Because it's always and now with the onset of social media. Um, being on a podcast, telling people my truth. Um, there's more chance of that uh, more than more than ever. I was just on uh, Dr. Dr. Jackie's point of view podcast. She is an OBGYN who's on the reality show Married to Medicine. And she had me on her show. We were talking about not only organic loving, but about poly, these same kinds of things. And when I looked at the post of the episode on her social media, uh, there were some people on there that were like, oh, that's really cool that this person did that. And there was one woman was like, I cannot believe you would have this trash by talking about me mm-hmm. on your show. And this is destroying marriages. And, this, and, and she said to the woman in her response, well, you're wrong. Because she said, I have women who have all types of relationships come to me and talk to me about what's happening in their sex lives. And I have to stand from, as a doctor, I have to stand from a point of non-judgment. 
-hmm. How can I help this woman if I'm going to judge her in what she's doing? And I was like, good answer for her. Go on, Dr. J, you know, because she was clutching her pearls by the time we finished. <laughs> by the time I finished, she was like, oh, my, Taylor. I was like, well, Dr. Jackie, this is, this is what happens. <laughs> so with, yeah, your seminars you run and people come to learn about, is it always a specific topic or, or are you kind of always just glossing over all the general things that you have knowledge about? No. So my seminars, uh, my original seminar, because I started on um, I started on the cruises and there's so many cruises and I wanted to find a way to stand out. So humans, you know, adults learn best with with humor. So my first seminar is called How to Make Good Pussy Better. And so people were coming to think they were going to learn some new techniques. And what they ended up learning about was the benefits of. Uh, organic, intimate body products and why they should be using more holistic ways um, with regards to their lubricants, their condoms and having body safe sex toys. So it was a seminar that was done in a very fun way to introduce them to these products. And then um, in the middle of that, I used the Liberator sex pillows in order to talk about different ways that some older people and people of different body shapes and sizes could have much more comfortable sex. So that is kind of how I started. So the How to Make Good Pussy Better was my foundation. And then um, I also do a seminar called Spanking for Lovers, which is based on the book Spanking for Lovers, uh, Your Ass or Mine. Um, it's, it's an aspiring seminar. <laughs> okay. And, and that is less BDSM and more about introducing people to the erotic side of spanking. Okay. Because you get people who are not really into the BDSM and the kink, but they like to slap their partner in the ass during sex or when they're walking by. So I would show them how to warm up the body, you know, the different hand positions, how to introduce implements if they want to go further. And uh, so that was a really fun way to talk about spankies and spankers. And then I also do when your hips don't lie, sex positions for real body uh, types. And then um, there's a there's a women's only seminar called the the care and feeding of your pussy, which is for non lifestyle the care and feeding of your yoni, and that is about holistic health and wellness uh, for women. And then lastly, one called jealousy, understanding the intersection between I love you and fuck off. So <laughs> that's about how to feel safe, happy, and secure, and open relationships. And that's also based on the book on jealousy. Yeah, I think that is coming to a lot of listeners' minds right now where, you know, the jealousy aspect, I would imagine, is going to come into play at some point. Whether Mm -hmm. you're comfortable with your wife or husband having sex with somebody else, there probably will come a moment where it's like the individual they're doing that with, you kind of think is far superior to you in some way that is irrational or whatever it may be, and you get jealous. And Mm -hmm. has that happened to you? Have you encountered that in your own experience? Actually, not with my husband, <laughs> but with one okay. of my boyfriends. Um, I was never, I was never a jealous person way back, you know, even when I was single and was dating, I was never really a jealous person. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not something I've struggled with. It was like, woohoo, you're having sex with somebody else. I want to watch. Can I watch? Can I watch? Can I watch? Mm-hmm. And um, so I didn't have a challenge that way, but jealousy is an emotion just like love and anger. 
um, and, and insecurity. And as I talked about people using their words, when you feel it coming on, you have to kind of do a gut check. You have to learn to use your words and say to your partner after this moment of jealousy is happening because people don't do things to you, mm-hmm. right? No one is doing, making you jealous. This is something that's an insecurity that, that is within. Mm-hmm. So I, I tell people, you know, you feel the emotion coming up like, I cannot believe he's over there and he's kissing her like that. He doesn't hold my, my head like that when he kisses me. And why is he using so much tongue? He doesn't do that much tongue with me. You know, and so you, you end up the story that you're telling to yourself. Mm-hmm. And you have to kind of reel yourself in. What story am I telling to myself right now? Why am I feeling this? And sometimes it's best to either remove yourself from the situation or just do nothing. And maybe the next day when you're feeling a little calm or if it's still there, you will then have a conversation with your partner and go, you know, babe, yesterday when such and such happened, I felt so jealous or insecure or scared or creeped out, whatever it was. And it's your partner's job is to hold space for you while you explain what you felt. And you might have to ask them to either not do that again until you can kind of get control of yourself or hold of yourself or you feel more comfortable or not do it in your presence or remove yourself from the situation. But it's something you can control. It's just an emotion. Mm -hmm. You just have to be able to learn how to control it. Mm -hmm. And it's it's. It takes practice and it's not, and it happens more often when the person, if you see your partner with someone that is so totally opposite of you, like, you know, I'm five foot two, I'm like 131 pounds, I'm small bootied, I'm small breasted. And then I see my man with this big titty, big ass girl, and he's just all in. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, he's like loving all the 36 triple D's. And I'm like, but my little, my little B, you know, and he's just, you know and it could make you feel like oh my god this is and especially in the singer community you know with a lot of sexual energy and tension going on and i i i developed this thing called the new toy truck syndrome (laughs) so men you guys out there when men get new pussy they become like little four-year-old boys with a new toy truck, right? They're gonna play with this truck and play with this truck. They're gonna open up the doors, right? They're gonna play with all the gears. You know, they're gonna turn it over and look in the truck. And let's not forget about that new toy truck smell. Mm, 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 mm. There is nothing better than a new toy truck smell. (laughs) Nothing beats new pussy, nothing. Mm -hmm. I don't care how much you love your woman, nothing beats no pussy. Not to mention, you might not ever get to play with that truck again. That truck may live in France. You live in Miami. You made that, you were going to play with that truck until the wheels fall off. Y'all of a sudden, your woman's like, you can literally go for 45 minutes straight? Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> 45, 40, really, Bob? 45 minutes? Really? <laughs> You didn't even know Bob had it in him, you know, (laughs) except once a year on his birthday. And you kind of stand there with your mouth open. And I tell women all the time, don't worry. At some point, you'll be 
somebody's new toy truck. He'll be over there finished with his dick in his hand, tapping his feet. And you look over and be like, I'm sorry, babe. I'm the new toy truck. I'm sure we'll be done soon. And just let it go. He's just being four. It's okay. You know, she lives in France. You, you'll see, you won't see her until next year. You know, so, <laughs> I love you got to let it go. I love this. This is so great. And I think it's such a, a good way to present this to the audience in that, you know, like you just articulated, first, you have to own your emotion. Jealousy is going to come for sure at some point. So owning that, knowing that it's going to come. And then, like you said, either articulating it with your partner or setting your boundaries to where you remove yourself from the situation are good ways in which you can mitigate those emotions and, again, create that safe space for everyone to continue to enjoy themselves. And I guess you also have the choice to then not participate anymore as well. Like maybe this isn't the lifestyle for you if you find yourself getting jealous all the time. Exactly. Exactly. It 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 is um and some people have it's like this doesn't work for us. And that's totally okay. And it's and there are some couples who one partner just plays by themselves. They both go on the vacations together. But one partner's like, I met I met a couple that, you know, they had been married for 20 something years and the husband was like, my wife likes likes a lot of sex with different men. I don't want to have sex with anybody else other than her. I'm totally fine with us coming on these trips once or twice a year. I mean, it's once or twice a year for some most people, right? Okay. Once or twice a year, she gets to fuck five or six different guys or she's met her a guy who's her favorite. They see each other once or twice a year. She fucks herself silly all week. I'm happy. She's happy. We go home. That's it. Some of us make more into it than it is. Now, monogamy is different because now you have these emotions involved, right? That could be even more difficult to navigate because now we're talking, but I love her or, or I love him. You're like, what, 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 what do you mean love? <laughs> I, I'm the one, you know, we get caught up in the, the one syndrome, you know, I, I'm the one, you know, you can't love anybody else. It's like, yeah, love is infinite. Anyone who has more than one child, more than one dog, love is infinite, but time is not. You can only love as many people as you have time for, right? You just can't be, keep, you know, you can love a whole bunch of people, but you don't have time for everybody. We got jobs and children and careers and travel. So, you know, love is, love is infinite, but time is not. Um, but loving other people, bringing other people into a relationship requires a set of communication skills far beyond being able to communicate with one person. Because you can just choose not to talk to your partner for a while. I'm like, fuck this shit. I'm not even going to discuss it. And just go on with your life and be married and never talk about it. The shit that's bothering you. You bring on two or three other relationships. You've got to talk. You, you, you got to figure it out. And that is a challenge most people don't want to take on. And some people are just vast communicators. They want to, let's, let's talk about this. Let's work this out. Mm-hmm. And as much as I talk, I'm like, can we just have sex? <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk tomorrow? Can we just fuck right now? I don't want to get in a bad mood. I just want to have sex and we can talk. Let's talk next week. <laughs> Let me ask you this. For those individuals who are listening who are in a monogamous relationship or believe in monogamy, would you say that those in a monogamous relationship have a responsibility to their partner to keep them sexually satisfied? For example, in a relationship, maybe one, like you said, you were a very sexual person mm. and maybe at some points your husband was not very sexual. Is it his responsibility to sexually pleasure you since at, at one point in your past, you guys were in a monogamous relationship and that's kind of what he signed up for? Uh, is it his responsibility? 
the, the, the short answer is no, because I believe that everybody is responsible for their own happiness. Whatever it is that makes you happy, less sex, more sex, different job, travel. Um, but everybody is responsible for their own happiness as well as their own bullshit. We all bring bullshit to the table, mm-hmm. you see. And it is it was my responsibility to say to my husband, my needs are not being met. It is his responsibility to say, I can only meet your needs to this point, which he would not say for a long time. Right. And so, but once we became open, then we started having more truthful conversations about needs, wants, and desires. But during the monogamous stage, it was just a constant me wanting it, me not getting it, me wanting it, me not getting it, me wanting it, me not getting it. But I've never been a cheater. So I wasn't going to cheat, you know? So there was like a lot of masturbation going on, on, you know, on my own Mm -hmm. and thinking this is just how it's going to be. But this is what I signed up for because although sex is not the the only thing in a marriage, right? There, everything else, there were so many other things that were great. So I was like, okay, you know, this is not the worst thing. But once I discovered that there is a way to kind of have my cake and eat it too, if you will, and, you know, people are like, well, people want to have their cake. It's fucking cake. You should fucking want to eat it. That's my philosophy. It's cake. Why not eat it, Right then, oh, so this could fill in here and there, you know, the the things that I, the the other things that I desire. And that takes the weight off of him. And and I know this is probably not a good analogy, but it's kind of like, you know, for 25 years, I wore my husband, you know, I've asked my husband, well, not 25 years, but for many years, I've asked my husband to take salsa classes with me. And he was like, I don't want to do salsa. So either I am to never do salsa classes ever again, in my life and take salsa dancing or find somebody else to take salsa classes with. But some people, most people, some people, some people would just rather sit there and complain about what's not happening in their life with their partner, as opposed to saying to their partner, you know how much I love you, right? So me and Bob are going to take salsa classes. What? Fuck this. I don't want you with Bob. And Bob is trying to fuck you. Bob is not going to fuck me. Don't care what you think about Bob. I don't want to fuck Bob, but I'm going to do salsa. You don't want to do it. Why do you care? But we don't stand up for ourselves a lot. <laughs> for whatever reason. I don't know. Like that, the whole thing. I, I, I stay off the, I, I don't do the psychology shit. I don't do the abnormal things. I only do the normal stuff. That's you know? fine. I mean, I think, yeah, just with the social norms and mores that we grew up with, there's probably like you implied, you know, like you thought this was going to be how your marriage was you know, until it came to that breaking point where you, something had to be done and, and you did it. And it sounds like it took quite a few years for you to do that. But, you know, you, I guess the message is you don't have to wait that long. You don't have to be in a relationship for 25 years and then say like, Hey, this isn't working for me. You can do it within the first two. Yeah. It's, it is really is about standing in your, in your truth. I mean, I've met women in their forties who still are having challenges with their sexuality because their mama said, I'm like, girl, what's the last time you lived with your mother? You ain't lived with your mother 20 years. (laughs) I didn't give a fuck what your mother said about what you can and cannot do. Don't tell her what you're doing. Don't tell your mother you like being tied up and have hot wax, you know, spilled (laughs) on your tits. If you don't tell her, she'll never know. She's not in the room with you. She's not God. Really, honestly, let it go. And we hold on to things, people, emotions, hurt, 
way longer than we need to, because sometimes we just don't know how to let go. And learning how to heal, self-heal and self-soothe. We learned how to self-soothe when we were little babies. Like at some point you were crying in the crib and your mother decided not to pick you up this time. And you learned how to calm yourself down and self-soothe. Somewhere along the line, some of us forgot how to do that. And learning how to take some time for yourself and figure out what's best for me right now. You know, and, and it happens even with our young children as mothers, more so than fathers, um, meaning that we want to do something for ourselves, but we go, yeah, but the kids, you know, how am I going to feel if I leave the kids, you know, well, leave them with their dad, you know, for those who have fathers at home, you know, hire, them, leave them with your mom, you know, ask for help. Don't take on every single tiny itty bitty thing for yourself. Ask for help. It's okay to ask for help. This is amazing, Taylor. Thank you so much for just being so transparent and open. I'd like for the audience, because we've, we've used a, th- a few terms that I don't know if everyone understands, which is BDSM. Can you explain what that acronym stands for? And then a little bit about that community? Yes. BDSM, bondage, discipline, or dominance, and submission sadism and masochism, right? So bondage and distance, BD, or um, bondage and dominance, the D and the S, dominance and submission, the S and the M, sadism and masochism. Sadists, in the, in the sexual realm, a sadist is a person that um, enjoys inflicting pain on others, right? And we're, we're talking consensual sex, right? We're talking consensual BDSM now. Um, a sadist is someone that enjoys inflicting the pain and gets the sexual enjoyment or rise out of inflicting the pain. So whether it's spanking or flogging or whipping, um, a masochist in the consensual BDSM kink community is someone that enjoys having that pain, flogging, spanking, biting, uh, being tied up. You got rope bunnies. Um, enjoys receiving it and gets sexual pleasure out of being having that pain inflicted upon them. Um, dominance, just as what you believe it is, someone and may enjoy dominating someone. That could be something as simple as telling them what to do or as uh, like, you know, fix me a plate or stand there till I get back or, um, you know, suck my dick or, you know, <laughs> kiss my feet. You know, it doesn't have to be, the dominant part doesn't have to be painful. Um, it could just be telling someone what to do. Um, it could or could not include humiliation. Uh, and the submission, the submissive part, the submissive in a consensual dominant and submissive relationship, the submissive gives their submission, meaning being told what to do or how to act to the dominant. The submissive is in control of how they are to be uh, treated. The submissive gives the gift of submission to the dominant. It's like, I'm going to let you, allow you to spank me, beat me, or tell me what to do or how to dress or how to behave. I'm, and I can take that gift away from you at any time. So I know a couple who are, who have a 24 seven dominant submissive relationship. She is his submissive. 
but she is a switch. She also has her own submissive and she trusts her dominant with her life. And I heard her say that man could come over here right now and tell me to lick this fucking floor and I would do it. But I know he never would because he loves me and he would never humiliate me in that manner. But if he did, I would. And I'm like, really? (laughs) (laughs) So in the kink world, in the BDSM world, I am considered a uh, dominant switch. And um, you can actually go to BDSM.org and take your own assessment. Um, And there are many, you know, on a scale of one to 100, there's, there's, there's so many levels. So I am primarily dominant by personality. Um, in most roles in work and business and life, um, I can and have submitted uh, to the dominant men in my life, but very rarely. <laughs> okay. Only only two I can think of, you know, otherwise I'm like, I'm not doing that shit. Fuck you. you know? <laughs> I'm not that girl. No, you, you lay down. It's my fucking <laughs> turn. I'm going to beat the shit out of you today. You know? So I don't, uh, I don't submit very much or very often. And there's a fine line between a dominant and an asshole. So oh, I like that statement right there. Um, you've used the term kink as well, kind of interchangeably with BDSM. Is it the same or is it different? Well, BDSM is just the, the acronym, uh, the acronym, um, and, and kink and BDSM are pretty much the same, but where there is a difference is the difference between fetish and kink. So a fetish is something that someone has to have to be sexually aroused. Like when someone says, I have a shoe fetish, a person that has a true shoe fetish is someone that must have shoes involved in the act of sex whether it's wearing them, licking them, drinking from them, in order to become sexually aroused. So a fetish is something that must exist in order for the sexual arousement to happen. Kink is something that we find that we may be attracted to sexually that's considered not normal, like, you know, biting, like, you know, but I don't have to be bit in order to be sexually aroused. But biting me, which is kind of, not normal under a social norm that people would relate to a sexual activity, but someone may enjoy to be being bit. And that's a kink. So I like being bitten while I'm having sex. That That's a kink, okay. but it's not required in order for me to be sexually aroused. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, these, these types of communities are vast. I'm learning. You know, like, oh, so vast. And they, yeah, they get, and some, some get very specific. What's like, oh, I'm, I mean, I, I'm, uh, you know, dominant under these circumstances only. And then I switch to a submissive under these circumstances only. And yeah. how could anybody ever think to do it differently? <laughs> right. Yeah. So there's a thing they say that just learn to don't yuck on other people's yum. Oh, I like that too. Don't yuck on my yum. Nice. You know, don't. You know, don't yuck on my yum because I want to dress up like a two-year-old and wear pigtails and, you know, they have the furries who like to wear the animal costumes and they, okay, I'm, I'm going to go sit over here <laughs> <laughs> so I don't say nothing wrong. Speaking of yum, I mean, with your organic love and products, I was on your website looking at the different lubes, flavored lubes and stuff like that. Where do you source all your products from? I don't have any flavored lubes, but oh, you don't? Did I, miss, <laughs> no. did I miss that. I thought I saw a post recently from 
you saw a post about I was in an article about flavored lubes oh, okay. and they asked for my expert opinion on flavored lubes okay. and and um, they they kind of took a part of my context um, because my opinion pussy should taste like pussy mm-hmm. not cookies and cream okay. and um, not chocolate chips and bananas and it is my belief that um, most flavored lubes. Um, so with my background in holistic aromatherapy, I have an understanding of chemicals and organic chemicals, and we don't use any chemicals whatsoever. And I don't have any chemicals in any product. Most flavored lubes have things like glycerin, sucrose, glucose, stevia. These are all derivatives of sugar. And when you put sugar in something dark and warm and wet, what do you get? Yeast. Yeah. You stop baking bread. <laughs> so it is it is not good for the for the vagina. It always throws off the balance. So this is why I don't sell flavored lube. So within the article, I talk about why this is not a good why it's not a good thing. That's my contribution to the article about the flavored lubes. And then there are other experts talking about why flavored lubes are good. Uh, one of the other things for a woman, those who have vulvas, I should say, vulva owners. When our health is off, our overall health or our sexual health is off in any way, shape or form, our vaginal secretions change in taste, sometimes texture, color, scent. And if you feel the need to mask your natural odor with a flavored lube, then you need to be the doctor not using a flavored lube. Got so, it. Message received. Yeah. Yeah, pussy should taste like pussy. And there's there's nothing wrong with your own natural flavor when you're healthy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I apologize. I misread that. I misinterpreted no, that's my okay. brain. Well, so they just talk up. about flavored lubes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did do a post about the flavored lubes. It was about the article. You just, you know, the whole article, I just have my two cents in and that says pussy should taste like pussy. Except they, they didn't say pussy. Okay. <laughs> they say vaginas. <laughs> So then going back, though, where do you source all these organic products from? Do you manufacture them in Florida or do you have sources around the state? I am. I am a reseller. So I work with several different distributors. I do curate everything that's on my site. I do check all the ingredients for things that are on for products that are on my site. So I go Mm. to my distributor sites, my distributors, especially the ones I've been working with for over seven years now. No, she only wants something without chemicals in it. So if they get a new product and, hey, we got something organic, we think you you should put this on your site. Mm -hmm. Or they've even now even asked me for my own opinion about a product. Hey, this is a new product we brought on. What do you think about it? And I'm like, it's got this and this and that in it. I won't sell it. But, you know, good luck to everybody else. So, um, So I work with a number of distributors. All of, I have five, six distributors in the U.S., um, and you know, when COVID hit last year, so I've been ticking along all this time, right? I've been traveling the world and cruises and in and out. I've been in Europe and South America and the Caribbean, Yachty, Mexico, Canada, doing my talks and selling my products. And then COVID hits last year. So a lot of brick and mortar stores, sex toy stores shut down mm-hmm. because they're not essential. And believe it or not, Chavin, these brick and mortar stores with five and 10,000 square feet did not have an e-commerce site. Crazy. Are you kidding me now? So they were totally like no business for a few months. So some of that traffic trickled over to me, but then some of the 
online only stores like myself, their distributors, they only had like one or two distributors. They use like the two big distributors in the US for sex toys. Those distributors got shut down in their states. Mm-hmm. And then those online stores had no way to place orders because their distributors were shut down. Mm-hmm. So because I had been traveling internationally and I wanted to be able to save my international customers money buying products by you by having distributors outside the country. So I have six well, I have six now, but five distributors in the US, two in Canada, one in the UK, and one in Australia. I never stopped shipping all year long. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And ended up so as the traffic increased, they were going to whoever they knew in the past, but ended up coming to me because I was one of the very, very few that was still open and shipping. And um, two of my distributors got shut down, but the other three were still open and the ones out of the country were still open. I never stopped shipping. So I ended up with a lot of traffic. And then when the Black Lives Matter movement happened across all industries, there was a big push to buy Black. And that included sex toys. So Mm -hmm. there was a lot of social media push, buy from these black, uh, Black-owned sex toy companies, of which... I was one of, and then actually I have the largest online uh, BIPOC owned sex toy company. And so that was also an additional push for traffic. Um, and then some fundamental changes happened in media where um, some companies made some changes. Like if you're going to use an expert, I don't care if you're talking about Q-tips or dog training or cars or sex toys, Somebody should be BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, person of color. And I had been pushing my stuff for so long that some, and I had met a couple of uh, writers at Hedonism a year before as I went down with my Sisters of Sexuality Media to cover that event for their 35th anniversary. They reached out to me and said, hey, could you, would you, we'd love your expert opinion on this particular subject. And I said, hell Yeah. <laughs> So that I got published in the early fall in women's health mm-hmm. and then men's health. So that brought a ton of traffic as well. Uh, and it just and it just kept going. And that just led to uh, a few more articles, which led which just leads to more traffic. And then at the end of the year, I actually brought on two assistants. I brought on an assistant, a, a um, virtual assistant. And I was able to actually bring on a um, a publicist to help me with the momentum. And it's been good. You know, there was a lot of traffic and and all these years, you know, 25 years of marriage, 12 years in the open lifestyle, ethical non-monogamous relationships, um, kink, you know, BDS, you know, um, kink and polyamory and swinging. I, I got a lot to talk about. <laughs> so I've been able so. to contribute. The, um, the seminars have sustained you for a while and then is just now your organic loving blowing up to where well yeah no though no, the seminar the the seminars um i made money in the seminars but the online presence has always made more money than the seminar oh, okay, the seminars gotcha. were mostly for branding right okay um i my seminars are always free because i had my products to sell and like about three and a half years ago i stepped outside of the swinger community and started presenting you know as a presenter in the vanilla world so i was at 
sex expos like the Sex Expo in New York and the Taboo Sex Expo in Canada, Exotica in Chicago. So I was at just as an erotic educator presenting at these events. And so, yes, I made money at the event selling the products, but it's always to drive traffic to the website. So the website was always the main um was always the main uh, moneymaker. And I've been doing it full time um, because I sunsetted the skincare for athletes about a year and a half into organic loving because organic loving was just making way more money than skincare for athletes ever did. I see. So, um, yeah, the seminar was just a way to brand and travel because my, you know, most of the time my, uh, my room was paid for for free in exchange for paying for a, you know, hotel room or, a room at the resort. I got discounts on the cruises for me and my team on the big, on the larger cruises. So um, it was just a way to brand organic love and as a site to drive I traffic see. to the site. I see. Mm-hmm. Quick clarification. You said vanilla world. What does that refer to? The, those who are not in the ethical non-monogamous world. <laughs> okay. <laughs> those gotcha. who are not swinging or kinky or poly or open okay. or monogamish. We call y'all, we call all everyone outside of that vanilla. Okay. You know, just kind of plain, no nuts, <laughs> no strawberries. And then you said something a while back that's kind of just been kind of playing over in my mind when you talked about the the therapist that whose show you went on t- holding onto her pearls. And I instantly thought anal beads. But <laughs> ah, no, you know, we talk about conservative women who wear the pearls around their neck. Oh, okay. not their so, you know, when, when women are shocked, they, you know, they clutch their pearls on the neck, like, oh, I can't uh, believe she just said the okay. new toy truck syndrome. I can't believe she said pussy should taste like pussy, you know? Okay. When she, I mean, she was, she's a doctor. She's, she's a, uh, an OBGYN completely open to everything. Mm-hmm. But I always like to tease that I, you know, I had her clutching her pearls by the end of the show, you know, talking okay. about watching my husband have sex with other women. And she was probably like, oh, Lord, girl, no. <laughs> I love it. So is Sisters of Sexuality your podcast or is that a community that's different? It's a little bit. It's, it is a podcast, My Sisters of Sexuality. And me and five other sisters um, started the community uh, for African-American women who were uh, in the business of sex, but we all did something different. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I've kind of been the lone one, the lone sister standing because everyone else is kind of branched out and doing their own thing. And, um, and then we launched the, the podcast. We started the radio show and then now a podcast. And I interview, um, the purpose of it is to educate uh, entertain and inform in all areas of sexuality, relationships, kink, and the business of sex. Mm-hmm. So the business of sex could be, you know, an erotic educator, a sex educator, um, educating adults. It could be a, a teacher, sex education teacher in high school or college. It could be a sex therapist or counselor. Um, it could be someone who is an adult entertainer or someone who's a therapist for sex therapists. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it could be a sex worker. So uh, it could be those involved in the, in the world of sex tech, those who make sex toys, those who sell who sex toys, who have other um, sex toy businesses or, or intimate body products like lubes or condoms. So all of that falls under the business of sex. And I interview those people to figure out, you know, 
you know, you know, why are you making glass butt plugs for a living? Like, why, 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 you know, why not, you know, shoes? Why are you making glass butt plugs? You know, what, what made you want to blow glass, glass butt plugs for a living? And just like you, just interested in how people took this turn in their life to get into this industry with all of its challenges, you know, the sex industry, especially in America, um, with the conservative people who are still doing shit they're not supposed to do, and the liberal people saying, it's okay, but wait, don't do it to my family. Um, why would you choose this industry to make a living in? Mm-hmm. It's it's just so much, you know, it's an uphill battle the whole way, but those of us who like and do sex for a living, it's like, eh, I just didn't fit in no place else. So. <laughs> Misfits and rejects. Love it. Yeah, Misfits and rejects is like, fuck it. I'm going to do this, you know. With uh, the glass butt plug blower, like what was their answer? I mean, I can imagine they were probably into blowing glass at some point, And then what? It just, the butt plug area made it more money? It was the or? sex thing. Okay. <laughs> it was, I'm a highly sexual person and aren't butt plugs. You know, I wonder if I could make a butt plug. I uh-huh. wonder if I can make a really good glass butt plug because mm-hmm. I like butts, you know? Yeah. I like big butts. And I'm, like, <laughs> I'm not going to go there. But yeah, that was his thing. I, I, I. I like, I like butts. I like sex. I like glass. I'm going to make dildos and butt plugs out of glass. You know, I want him to go on that because there's a whole reality show around glass blowing. I'm like, dude, you should go on that show. <laughs> you know? The various sizes would trip people out, I bet. Oh, my gosh. You know, I, he's the guy I buy from, and he's the only one I buy from, really, out of Canada. We've been doing business together for about four years. I just met him for the first time last February, mm-hmm. and we've been doing business together for four or five years. There's a few people I've been doing. I, I love working with artisans. Um, my J. Naja cock rings come out of Amsterdam, best ergonomic cock rings in the world. Um, they're out of Amsterdam. I have, I've been working with Yella for five years now. I've never met him in person. We've only been on Skype. I've never met my graphic designer. We've been working together 10 years in person. And, um, but yeah, there's so many artists and I like getting these kind of one of a kind products for my clients because they're always looking for the next best thing. And it's just, yeah, again, you have these, these people who've decided I'm going to make a glass butt plug or I'm going to make leather floggers that are hand that are hand tied and hand stitched and it's from buffalo or you know it's a snake hide it's some rare thing and you're like but why why floggers you know you know you could just get them out of china you know mm-hmm. you know made any old kind of way but the craftsmanship it takes the time it takes to make this this um this this piece of art I just find intriguing. We've got sustainable wood dildos that are, you know, that are hand carved. And it's just like they're beautiful pieces of art. And they're they're artists, you know, and I they're small businesses like mine. Companies like Adam and Eve will never probably purchase their products because Adam and Eve is mass buying stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, they they're, you know, they're a seven, what did Adam and Eve do 2019? I think they did something like seven billion dollars. Oh, wow. You know, thanks, $7 billion. I think Love Honey did $11 billion in mm. 2019. They're huge. 
this is, you know, this, this industry, not even the sex industry, just the sex toy industry is a 28. No, it was like 3 billion and 7 billion. I'm sorry. It's like a $28 billion industry. And it's, and the pandemic uh, has put everybody across the board that was able to continue their business. Um, Some businesses, some sex toy companies did suffer through that because they sourced out of China and weren't able to get what they needed to get in. Mm -hmm. So they were no longer to produce the things they needed. It could have been a part or an ingredient that they sourced out or someplace else in the, in the world. And suddenly the supply chain dried up because Mm -hmm. of COVID. So some companies did, uh, did suffer. And some companies, you know, we, we did over 700%. We grew over 700% um, year over year between between 2019 and 2020. Congratulations. That's amazing. I thank you. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm happy. I'm what makes happy. a good cock ring? Ooh, a good cock. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I digress. <laughs> a good cock ring. Um, I'm going to use the Jay Nodger for an example. Um, I think the, the best cock rings, ooh, two different things. So you have a, you have a cock ring that's solid. The best solid cock ring, the one that's not flexible, is the one that has that has different sizes, right? Mm-hmm. So you should be properly sized for that cock ring. Um, so a good cock ring, in my belief, also uh, in rings both the the penis and and the um, testicles. Okay. So because the purpose of the cock ring is to slow down, not stop is to slow down the blood flow. By doing so, it helps keep the penis erect longer and it helps keep the penis harder by keeping the blood in the penis. Mm -hmm. So you have a harder, longer erection. Um, As far as a soft, flexible cock ring, one that is adjustable in size is also the best. So you have one that works like a lasso. You know, it's got like a little ring at the end and you can make it snug. You can't wear those for long periods of time, but you put it snug, uh, you know, we get, once the penis is erect, you put it, you put it on, it's, and you snug it up, you keep it snug. But once you, after you have an orgasm, ejaculation, you should take it off. Mm-hmm. Um, the J Nodger is something that can be worn. You can only put it on when the penis is soft and you can only take it off when the penis is soft. You can't get it off until your penis is soft. So, but it also has a small, like, which kind of looks like a tail, Mm-hmm. That stimulates the perineum, that spot uh, between the, the the testicles and the ass. Mm-hmm. And in the South, they call it the taint. Right. <laughs> I've heard that. They call it the taint because it they call it the taint because it taint the balls and it taint the ass. Mm-hmm. Is that little spot right there in the middle? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it stimulates that every time you stroke, and it gives the man a much more uh, intense orgasm. There are a few others. I think the Vito has a similar stimulating spot that we have on our site. Uh, the J Nodger is on a permanent pause right now. Unfortunately, um, they got sold and the people they got sold to is like, yeah, we're not selling this no more. I'm like, no, it was my most favorite one to sell because I would do personal cock fittings. Uh, on the trips oh my god there's nothing better than a cock fitting the guy was like yeah i i I came for a cock fitting i'm like show me your junk and then i would take a a handful of cock and balls (laughs) and size them 
What a beautiful <laughs> life you've made for yourself. I love it. Oh, baby. I, listen, I'm having the time of my life. I'm telling you. <laughs> I mean, that's what this is all about. I mean, people like yourself taking responsibility for what they want in life and then going out and designing it the way they want it. I mean, misfits and rejects to the core. And I just love you for it, Taylor. This is such a beautiful conversation to share with the world. Well, you know, as far as we know, we only have this one life, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there may be, uh, yeah, what do you call it when you come back? Oh, God. What do you call it when you come back? Um, reincarnated. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't think of it to save my life. So even if there is such a thing as reincarnation, what if you come back as a leaf mm-hmm. on a tree? You live five days and then you die. You would have missed out on this whole human experience, the good, the bad, and the ugly of it. You would have missed out on everything thinking, you know, this is it. And we just don't know. So you might as well just have, you know, make the most of it the best you can, wherever you are, wherever you stand, with money, without money, with love, without love. I, you know... I just don't believe in this long-term suffering if you have the ability to make some changes the best you can. We all just can't pop up and, you know, run off to Spain, you know, and live someplace else. And some of us are like, uh, I'm going to Spain. I don't have no fucking money. I'll figure it out when I get there. And some of us just stay frozen in one spot and just choose not to. And there's nothing wrong with not going either. Agreed. 100%. If you could talk to one of the individuals listening right now who has heard something you said that got them curious, what would you tell them to like a good place is to start? What would they be curious about? David? So say <laughs> if they like the, the poly thing or they like the BDSM thing or they like the kink thing, can you direct them or maybe should they, should they listen to your podcast to learn more about it? Well, um, my mother always said, no matter what you want to learn, you can learn in a book, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I think, why one of the most important things on my website are the books that we carry. We have over 100 books on our site, not only about sex and sexuality, relationships, be they open or monogamous, uh, infidelity or not, kink, all that. We have lots of books on the site. I would say to people to come to my organic com. Click on the menu and look on the link that says enlighten me there. And you can sort it by whatever you're looking for. So whether it's whether you're looking to improve your sex life or, you know, how to give a better blowjob or how to eat pussy better or to open up your relationship or to even have a threesome or monogamy or non-monogamy or how to heal after uh, traumatic sex. Even we have books on sex and disability, sex after 50. Um, there's so much that can be learned just on your own. And then, of course, yes, this, this is a sexuality podcast. There are lots of people on there that you can just go through to see if there's someone there that might have some information for you. The links to their sites are on there as well to reach out to them. There's therapists on my site. There are coaches on my uh, podcast as well that we've interviewed. So there are lots and lots of things. Or you could be curious like me and Google it. The benefits of an an open marriage and see what you come up with next. But uh, yeah, you know, the good thing about the internet is there's so much to, you can't believe everything you read on the internet, but 
you can at least get started. The books, for the most part, have some truth to them, I'm going to say. We like to believe that everything in the books are, are more true than you find on the internet. Well, Taylor, this has been such a pleasure to talk to you. I appreciate your time. I love the time we shared on the beach in uh, Tulum. Uh, you're in Playa del Carmen right now. When do you head back to the States? Uh, I, I'm in Cancun. I go to, I got two more weeks here. So I'm here working remotely for the month. And uh, and then I go back to the States. But I'm already thinking about maybe I'll come back in July. You know, I feel that. But I th- I'm thinking about going to Cap Dag in the south. Have you been to Cap Dag in the south of France? No, I haven't. Oh, Javen, it's a city of 50,000 nudists. It's a nudist village of 50,000 people that go there between June and the end of August every year, mostly Europeans, but people from all over the world. And um, you can... Everything from two-year-old babies to 80-year-old grandmothers. You can go naked to the grocery store, to the restaurants. There's all kinds of clubs. And so, of course, you know, anywhere naked people are, swingers are. So there's swinger groups that do takeovers there at certain hotel groups. And and there's a big kink community there. Or you can just go with your family. There's a family beach or there's gay folks and gay clubs. It's, It's a whole community. But for the swinger people... Their events are some of the most debaucherous shit you've ever seen. <laughs> I'm going to put that on uh, the show notes. It's called CapDag. 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 C A P space A apostrophe D A CapDag. C A P, good Lord. A apostrophe. <laughs> nope. C A P D apostrophe A D G E. Thank you. It's in the south of France. Okay. So, and put- they on my site under the menu, come with us. We're going to be there the last week in July. So all of the, if you're interested in adults-only travel, um, I work with all the major adults-only travel groups. And so we have events planned all through next year. We're doing the cruise to Tahiti next year. There's a Caribbean cruise this year. There's so much. There's lots of things. Sounds like a great way to get introduced to the community. One more question. Do you have a YouTube channel or no? I do. I have my Organic Lovin' uh, YouTube channel. All my social media is under Organic Lovin', L-O-V-E-N. And, um, but mostly on my YouTube channel, you can see the um, me and my brand ambassadors doing reviews on different toys. 3D toy. That's where the toy reviews are sitting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, Taylor. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. Oh, thank you for having me. This has been so much fun. I've enjoyed it. Awesome, Taylor. Thank you so much for your time. It was such a pleasure getting to chat with you, getting to meet you in person on the beach of Tulum. I just love your openness, your vibrant energy. You really bring it to every single moment within this conversation, within the conversations we had in person. You can really tell you just live a very present, fulfilled life because you're doing what you want and you've designed this life to be exactly what you want, which is what Misfits and Rejects is all about, taking responsibility for your life, owning it because we only get one of them and then living it in your truest, most natural form. And so as I said at the beginning, folks, I'm just going to go really quickly through a few key things that I think would be great takeaways from this episode. I know we went in depth into a very exciting community with lots of different areas covered with the BDSM, the kink, the poly, the swinger, you name it, we talked about it. But I think the one big takeaway for me is that within anything you do, whether you choose to go deeper into this community, whether you are already in one of these types of communities is you have to own your emotions. You have to own the fact that when you become jealous, 
It's the thoughts that are provoking that emotion, not the individual's actions. It's your interpretation of those actions that are completely not related to that person, but they are related more to your upbringing, what you, the different beliefs you have about yourself, about what is socially acceptable that have been either groomed into you by your friends, your family, that aren't always necessarily true. And it's very important to own that emotion when it arises, when it arises, not necessarily just react and fly off the handle and blame somebody else. As Taylor and I talked about, it's becoming aware of it, owning it, and then taking the time to address it in an appropriate way, talking about what you need out of any type of situation, whether it's within the relationship, whether it's at work. And if you do come to that crossroad where the other individual within your relationship or the situation at your work is not able to fulfill your needs, then it's time to take responsibility for that and make a change. For me, that was the underlying message that came across so clearly through Taylor's incredible transparency and openness with how she conducts her, how she conducts herself and her life. And I will continue to apply that message to my own life as well as I continue to try to achieve the goals that I've set for myself and develop the relationships that I want to develop in my life with people who are, are open and willing to, as I said, take responsibility for their own emotions and their life situation, because that's the foundation I think for something solid to grow from. So thank you for listening. I think you all are so very beautiful. Definitely go check Taylor out at organiclovin.com. Or if you want to hear more about all the individuals who are part of sexuality in the sex world, check her out at Sisters of Sexuality, which is her podcast. Thank you again, and I will see you soon. Take care. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it, it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.